0: well hello and welcome to another episode of the new ground life and leadership podcast here to help you thrive as a follower of jesus wherever you are and in whatever you're going through i'm your host jez field and today i'm joined by emma goulds who is the co-founder of orchards uk a charity that works in partnership with local churches to support women who've experienced different forms of sexual exploitation Emma is a leader at Beacon Church London and a mum of three. Now, I should say that we recorded this conversation before the recent murder of Sarah Everard, which would explain why there's no specific reference to her death. Nevertheless, this perhaps serves to underscore a fresh why this is a topic that's worthy of both your time and open, heartfelt consideration. In fact, following Sarah Everard's death, Emma recently published a blog on her church website in which she wrote, before we rush in with trying to fix this, or before we move on, we need to recognize there are families mourning. There are daughters and sisters in our churches and in our communities who are mourning. We need brothers and sisters together to really hear these stories, cry out to God and lament, and allow space for the wounds that are surfacing to be acknowledged and to heal. She then goes on in her article to issue a call to pray together for culture change. And as with any of these things, it really is up to each of us to engage, to pray and to essentially build the church that we believe best reflects the vision of Jesus in the world. I'll put a link to the article in the description of this episode. And I'm so grateful for Emma's courage in sharing what she does in this episode and also for our time together. I really pray that it helps you in some way. For now, here's my conversation with Emma Goulds welcome it's great to have you with us
1: it's great to be here thank you
0: um well emma i'm really looking forward to today's conversation and the various things that we are going to talk about so you're, you're obviously someone who's involved in the the cold face of some social challenges and listening to a lot of heartbreaking heart-wrenching stories how do you um, stop yourself from either being crushed under the weight of wanting to fix it and not be able to fix everybody's problems um or just kind of getting quite people go one of two ways i've observed they can either become you know crushed under the weight of i must fix everybody's problems or you can end up being quite cold and you know bureaucratic and just you know computer says no um how do you how do you guard your heart in that respect
1: um that that's a that's a really good question. I think God has been so kind to me in that it's been such a, it was a very, very gradual journey into um, being involved in, in in these things. So, um, Uh, you know um, sexual exploitation for example it's something that has been that God put on my heart um, for a very long time I mean maybe you know maybe almost 20 years Um, and um, I probably just before I became Christian I was you know something I was passionate about although perhaps in a less healthy way Um, and very as a very new Christian um, was involved in prison ministry in a um in a women's prison and would see um you know um almost as a baseline women in there would um struggle with self-harm and would have um would have been raped and a lot of them were self-harming to stay in prison because it was better than what they had to go out to and you know would have you know would have eating disorders and you know and be um um and, and huge stories of abuse and and um would go in there and just see god move and it was beautiful and i would do it in small doses because i'd come out and it would touch on my stuff but it would but i would have sort of faith eyes for that, that God is moving in this um in this area and then maybe I'd have a have a I'd have a month and I'd and I'd and I'd regroup and I'd be grappling with, with my stuff I suppose and um um, I was involved in half in halfway housing for women coming out of coming out of prison and outreach in uh, off street prostitution about 15 years ago in um, sort of slightly affluent affluent area in London and um, and it was I think God kind of increased um, the dosage, um, of, uh, you know, of things and I'd, and I'd, and I'd regroup and there will be things that he would be healing in my own heart. And I, you know, I'd have a job at the civil, uh, civil service briefly, you know, years, years ago, maybe 15 years ago, where I'd be hearing, um, you know, um, some, a lot, of, a lot of safeguarding issues just, you know, all the time. And I would, and I, and God taught me to, to pray, actually, no, God, I give that to you. I give that to you. And at the same time, God healing me of some of, of, of some of my own things so that, you know so I can separate it and almost that you know exposure increasing so he's been so kind to me someone challenged me on not becoming a cul-de-sac for abuse stories recently and just knowing that I've got us, you know that I almost there's a self-awareness that you know okay actually this this particular thing I'm feeling quite flat I'm this 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 has a this has affected me or I'm, I'm getting compassion fatigue I need to I really do need to just rest of it um the challenge to rescue can be massive and um i think we can come in with our superhero suits of i'm going to sort this out and i'm you know um and actually that's there's for all sorts of reasons not not a helpful response i think my first experience supporting someone with um domestic abuse and it wasn't an official it was it was a it was a friend it must have been no, seven, 15, 17 years ago. And it was definitely an attempted rescue mission. It was a failed rescue mission. It was attempted rescue mission. Um, and it, um, and so we need to just be aware that we're not trying to be someone's saviour, that, that, that Jesus is a a saviour.
0: No, I know, um, I know psychologists talk about the trap that you can get into of rescuer, persecutor, And um, I can't remember what the other one is. But it's this idea that unless someone actually asks you to do something, if you do it for them, you end up becoming their rescuer. You've made them a victim. Um, And therefore, actually, in, in the long run, that only breeds resentment. And they, in turn, end up persecuting you and being annoyed at you for helping them in the first place because you and i guess getting that getting that balance between mm. the permission you've been given and their mm. responsibility your your professional capacity responsibility but also the you know required and requested help rather than mm. constantly you, we can end up infantilizing people who are victims i guess mm. by assuming we know what they need and assuming that we're the strong who mm. can help them the weak mm. but it's not it's not as it's not as straightforward as that is it it's a lot more complicated
1: No, and I think there's some identity things in that as well. It's interesting, actually, I am trying to stop myself using the phrase vulnerable adults at the moment. And the reason for that is when I when I reflect on um, some of the people in my life who you may you know you may want to use that term with actually they're some of the strongest most resilient courageous people that I know and so it just doesn't fit and so there's something about am I creating an environment where someone can can choose Um, and that is particularly important where choice has been taken away. So um you know thinking about um sexual exploitation, for example, I think we we, we talk, it's talked about a lot across christendom, but usually we're talking about trafficking um yeah. and I, and I and where there's an obvious you know choice has absolutely physically been taken away um but there's um and I think we then, have this black and white view of otherwise you know in prostitution that's a choice right it's, you know it's that someone's chosen it or they've been trafficked into it actually the reality is often a lot more um gray than that so someone might be trafficked into prostitution someone might be trafficked into um pornography or coerced and actually even if there's not an obvious um you know person um coerce um coercing or or, or, or forcing someone if you like there's circumstantial things so um very commonly there's you, you might see sexual abuses as um as a child, very um commonly you know in homelessness, um um, domestic abuse is one of the biggest re- re- um, reasons for women becoming homeless and actually high- lack of housing is one of the biggest entry points into sexual exploitation and um, um, in the form of sofa surfing you know you can you can you can stay here if you that kind of thing um, mm. or or sex or sex for rent um, and um Um, And also across the sector, we're seeing women sell sex for the very first time because housing poverty is leaving them with a choice um, between um, sexual exploitation and homelessness. So why am I saying that in the context of choice? I think where there's been choice taken away, um, how someone might um, present, it can be quite different. Either someone can be very like, I want control back. you know I want to have a part of my life where I can choose Mm. again or that might present in um, a way where someone just cannot say no in general because their no has been so irrelevant that there's a sort of people pleasing um and you know i might work with women who are kind of you know will tell me what i want to hear and i'm just like you can say no to me and i will respect your no and i will come alongside you as you choose and there's so there's a so the the uh, I mean, the ability to choose um creates kind of a healing environment so someone can can go on you know, choosing and we need to get ourselves out of wow. the way. Um and I think there's also an identity you know, you, you described then um the kind of victim almost I identity. I think um we, you know, need to, you know, cross, uh, across the across the boards, so I'm talking about abuse more more broadly, um not say people aren't victims insofar as we're saying things are their fault. I think that's very important and and you know um and there can be victim blaming, victim shaming, and and that can play out a lot around, you know, our narratives around prostitution. So um, not in that sense. So in that sort of sense, you've been victims of abuse and of a crime, but the identity of victim, um, can keep you in that, that that place of of not being able to move forward or believing that I can't do anything else and I'm not worth um, anything more. And, um, and actually the church can have a real role in, in, in creating or a, an environment that either reinforces that victim narrative or mm. um, um, or not or, ch- or, or you know or, or creates a, an environment where someone can can thrive and be, Uh, you know, grow in being who they were created to be.
0: Mm, No, I thought what you said there as well about the importance of letting someone say no as a Mm -hmm. means of giving them some level of control and power is a really profound idea, actually, isn't it? The Mm -hmm. kids learn that word early on and they learn to throw it around at their parents a Mm -hmm. lot. And as as much as it might be frustrating for parents, it's really good for the child Mm because they're learning they do have some control over the world that they're in. They can Mm -hmm. say this far and no further to things or I don't want this, I don't want that. Mm -hmm. And that's a a good lesson for people to learn. I guess people who have been victims of sexual explo- exploitation have had all of their power and dignity robbed of them to the point that their wishes, their opinions, their desires counted for nothing. Mm. So they didn't have any no's left. So I think that's as really, as I was reflecting as you're sharing there, uh, Emma, there's lots and lots that's coming to, this is kind of spinning around my mind that I'd love to take things in those different directions. There's lots of ideas and concepts you've thrown out that I think are so fascinating and interesting to explore. Uh, I think it'd be really helpful for the listeners to kind of just back up a couple of steps really and, and ask the question, how did this become something that you got involved with? I know I've heard you speak before about some of your story and um, your engagement with the Me Too movement. Would you mind sharing kind of some of that and how you came to be so involved in this? I know you, you shared earlier about you having to process your own stuff while also trying to help uh, some of the women in prison.
1: Mm. I mean, I would separate the the two things out a little bit. So the, um, I think that in terms of working with women involved in 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 um, sexual exploitation and and prostitution, that is something that God really put on my heart and um when I've when I've when I've shared some of my experiences around um around um me too what I what I don't have is a is a I have experienced sexual exploitation and I I, I just want to make it really really clear the levels of trauma are you know incomparable so I my I, I don't have a story of I have experienced this and therefore you know it would almost be like mm. say, I work with tees because I had a paper cut once, and so I understand. You know, it's and so, and so it'd be quite dishonouring to some of the women we work in terms of the the levels of trauma, and that goes that goes so deep. And you know, um, so um, I, just that there's he put that's something he he really put on my heart, and I cried out to God to be used in that area. Um, But I also in the journey of coming in and he took me on a journey of healing and some of my um, my my pain, I suppose, from what we might now to call, you know, hashtag me Too type experiences Um, and so that uh, what well, partly just just from my own healing and my own and my own walk with him but I needed to get to a place of deeper healing to be able to be um you know in what to be in this area and you know not go to a all men are place I think we're, we're familiar with the term hashtag me too I'm assuming but just in case we aren't there was um A big um, social media movement, really, Um, a few years ago, following um, sexual assault um, allegations of a a well-known producer, more and more women start to come forward saying, yeah, me too, that's happened to me, Um, and, um, you know, telling stories of um of um of, of sexual abuse sexual assault but also um um a set different forms of of um sexual harassment um and I suppose within that context you know i would had a lot of my own experiences but it's worth just being just 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 sort of saying that actually um the stories that I have shared are very 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 common so I, I if it's helpful I can share a few of them um now but um you know, I afterwards I find a response is either you have a really amazing testimony or I could have shared that and not that not being in a, you know, in a negative, rude way, but just the kind of how common and shared the experience of um I, you know, I've shared some of my own experiences in that context. But actually, um you know, I probably hold in my mind um um so many stories of um yeah. of, of, of people I know of friends of you know so um and I've shared my own because they're not my stories to share so I, yeah. I if it's helpful I can I can um I can share some of those yeah
0: yeah I think where where is perhaps helpful is for particularly for men I suppose to help mm. us understand what it's like to grow up in a society like this as a young girl mm. uh in a culture that is hyper sexualized mm. and where women are objectified um and because it, it's something that as men we just don't appreciate so your stories or others I'm not I suppose I'm not asking you to necessarily share things mm. that are particularly vulnerable to you but um mm. just get, help us understand what it's like to be a woman in this society
1: yeah I mean I I'm um, so obviously my I can't i don't speak for 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 all women um i think probably for me as was my first kind of experience of you know hashtag #me2 type experience if you like i was probably i don't know 12 13 i would have looked um a lot younger and I would have been dressed like a child because I always look quite young for my age. And I remember being in a shopping centre and a grown man coming up to me and saying, I bet you haven't been broken in yet, I'll break you in and feeling quite disgusted, but um knowing what he you know and knowing what he meant, feeling quite, you know, quite scared. And I found that from the, you know, my early mid teens to Early mid twenties, I was constantly being beeped at or having people make very explicit comments, um, or being followed home. Um, I, I've no idea how many times I've been groped by, by strangers in different contexts during that time. Um I have experienced men masturbating in front of me in the streets. Um on a number of occasions and yeah and then in the context of um relationship when I was it when I was 17 um I had a I had, there's a, a a friend in my school and he told me that my boyfriend had cheated on me and then I when I was upset he kind of forced himself on me and I and I um just kind of froze um, and so, and I had different situations of having to, of situations switching that were safe, you know, that seemed that, cause you're, I think we're constantly, we're quite judgmental. I think sometimes in our language of, you know, someone's got themselves into a certain situation, but we're asking you know, women to risk assess constantly and you might get it right and you might get it wrong. And so, um, you know, I've had situations switching and having to fight my way, um, um, away from people a couple of times. So that um, mm. that um, was my experience, and I, I, and I became Christian when I was twenty, um, and. I didn't really address I didn't think I was ready really but this didn't come to the surface I think um God's so kind isn't he I think he knows what you can what you can cope with and I think it was a uh, after about four years of of walking with him that all of a sudden the bit of me that was quite numb um came to the surface and it came to the surface with real anger um and I uh, and and also pain and I was seeing things so I was you know I was I'd be in for coffee with a friend and I, and I would be able to see it and you know and then wanting to kind of scream get off you know that it was it was I was I was I was like I was feeling it again and and I remember sort of saying God why is this happening and and I I heard him say to heal you I, I want to bring it up to heal you so I I was praying with a few women over a period of time um and I encountered really God's father heart for me um I heard him say that to him I was worth what he went through um to get me back and I forgave guys that had hurt me because that's a gateway to healing not because it not because I was saying that it was okay because it wasn't okay and I think we need to you know Mm. explicitly say that um but because that was a gateway of really the, of God coming and and healing my heart and healing memories and those flashbacks stopping, and um, and I and there was also then a mindset shift. I remember God really convicting me one day of, by the way, sons, that I'm my sons that I'm that you're hating. I had a lot of all men are thought trains. And, you know, and we hear, you know, um, this won't be a surprise. We'd have heard that kind of thing verbalised if we've engaged with any of the Me Too stuff. Often it comes out, uh, you know, quite vitriolic. And then we don't engage because it is vitriolic. So um, I, um, you know, so I repented of that. And I started a process of really renewing my mind of no men are God's sons. Um, and they're made in his image and I choose to trust you God to bring men into my life you treat me with respect and and dignity and just praying into that and that was hard because I was praying that and I was meditating on that you know you know what it's like when you've been you, you have a uh, um, um, a negative thought train you really need to meditate on truth but my experience was still difficult you know I was still having di- you know difficulties with um you know with guides and comments in the street and being followed home and that, that, that sort of stuff was still happening so mm. it was um so it was difficult but I was, just, I was holding on to that and actually now that is my um that is my experience. I and mean, obviously I'm I'm older, so there's so circumstantially it's um that um affects younger women a lot more. Um, but also that that I found that to be my my truth and so even when I am um because of the church culture that I'm in because of the the men that are around me because of my relationship with my husband um because also with men that I minister along alongside that I am in that context treated with um with dignity and respect and so um now when i'm you know hearing horrible horrendous <laughs> stories um you know relatively regularly or reading case notes on referrals of you know of someone's mm. story um it doesn't hit me in that place um, mm. yeah. Gosh.
0: wow um thank you so much for for sharing that yeah i i can only begin to imagine i suppose how regular experiences like that must shape the way you see yourself and experience your place in the world Ooh. in a way that I don't expect many men have to experience in that sense in the same way that not many white men have to feel the experience of being um, identified simply by their skin color and so th- this is this is something that I think is really important for people to to listen rather than make statements about and to listen to people's testimonies and experiences without constantly trying to explain it away because often that's quite you know defensive reactive thing to do um people people talk about white fragility you could have male fragility like don't accuse me i've never done that i've never done that and i suppose we're not saying no not every man has done that however what we are saying is imagine what it's like to live as someone who has to learn to orient themselves in a world where that's a regular part of it, their experience. I think that must shape your identity and your understanding of yourself um, in a way that men, most men, I guess, wouldn't be able to get close to appreciating. So thank you very much for sharing that. Um, I suppose it might be too big a broader generalised question to ask, but two things, I guess. Do you think it's getting worse and what do you think the causes are um, that is creating this culture of um, sexual, if not sexual exploitation, but certainly sexual objectification um, and a license to express oneself and dominate as a man do you think that's probably getting worse and what do you think some of the causes are some big big questions
1: (laughs) yes I suppose it's quite it's quite multifaceted um I think with um I think the culture has already been there I think it, it always been there I think it's playing out in different ways and so they're um partly because of technology partly because of um of Um, social media um, I think something some trends that we have been we have been seeing for example is um, almost the normalization of um, of violence um, within um, sex and that becoming normalized for children and young people um, and how that then plays out in relationships so um, what does that look like so pre-lockdown for example um we were seeing growing trends of um of child on child sexual assault. So I think often we think of sexual assault, we think kind of you know um, I don't know middle-aged guys actually I'm not saying he doesn't exist but of what actually what what we're seeing is child and child sexual stuff why because um, of the accessibility of um, of porn um, and because of the prevalence of, ve- of high levels of violence in in, in what pe- um, children mean I say children because you know it's Um, children of kind of nine years old are are engaging with some of this and it's not that they're bad kids, Um, it's just that it's so accessible. Mm. And so, their first, you know, before they've even, uh, their brains are developed, and before they've even shaped views of, 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 sex and relationships and what that looks like, they are looking at an assault essentially. And sometimes they're literally looking at assault because, mm. you know, because um, um, porn sites post actual images of of assaults, or it's being played out. So um, we are then seeing correlation um, with. Um, those kinds of things, either being played out within within relationships, and it being and and it being what children and young people are beginning to see, I think, is expected of them. So it's not that um, these are. Um, you know, children from broken homes. It's more just that th- this is what they have been exp- uh, exposed to, and that then becomes wired into their into their thinking. And we were already seeing um, um, an increase in in very very violent, you know, sexual encounters or sexual assault becoming normalised. I think now, since lockdown, see the situation is that we've got children and young people at home. You know, on um, separate from other other. Children children and young people where they might build, you know, build Mm. um, relationships with. Um, There have been, you know, some of the major porn sites have almost been uh, communicating that they are doing a public service by (laughs) what they're providing. You know, and so that that then is likely to um, to play out in, in different ways. And so I know that sort of sounds quite heavy to to you know um to engage with, but that um I think there's a big trend around um normalization of violence and I've been um mm. I've been reflecting a lot on how do we how do we engage. So there's the, the church, church can be a place we need to you know have an awareness of this to be able to to be able to really engage to a place of healing and when people are coming into our churches but also um something that really is on my heart is prevention because I think by the time that we really touch these topics mm. it's um you know it, in in you know later on in youth it's already a ministry issue if it's an issue it's already an issue and it's an ingrained issue now I'm not suggesting we suddenly start having you know, horrible conversations with children in our kids' work, but there is something about how do we equip parents to be able to to parent, um, you know, in a way to address some of these things at prevention stage, so that they are prepared for the moment when they are exposed, because it's more likely that they will be than they won't. Um, in terms of the, you know, so that's something that's very much on my heart. At, um, at at the moment, how do we um explore? Healthy biblical relationships, but also healthy healthy relationships, um, so that we start to create a culture. Because otherwise, the norm of what you know will be shaped by a highly sexualized culture.
0: Yeah, and uh, I don't know if you've read um, Nancy Pearcey. You come across her as an author, but she uh, she I was just looking through one of her books recently, and she says that the trouble is uh, you've got this kind of um, there seems to be a lot of contradictions in society in the way that we are talking about um relationships between men and women on the one hand you've got the the hookup culture and the prevalence of that that sex is nothing it's just an act between two people so get you know it you just it just doesn't need to involve your emotions on the one hand on the other hand we've got the me too mo- the hashtag me too response saying how awful it is and nancy pierce was saying part of the issue is that we treat sex education like a, a how-to manual um r- really just about our our biology and what you know what to do with what Rather, and we've detached it from relationship and we've detached it from the important. actually, I thought it was a fascinating comment about lockdown and they're now being socialized by what they're seeing online rather than what they're doing in their playgrounds. And so children, you know, for us as adults, you think, well, it's only a few months, but for my four year old, he's been under lockdown for nearly a quarter of his life. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's shocking. Like that has a big impact on him and his world in a way that, again, we won't appreciate as adults what it's like. Mm. Do you see many of those same, of contradictions because of course you've also got the the expression of female sexual power if you like in Fifty Shades Mm. of Grey which was very popular a few years ago and even even the 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 kind of popular Netflix series Bridgerton seems to be again about female sexual expression but it seems also to be quite a Mm. male vision of you know of sexual expression i don't know if i'd love to get your thoughts on a lot of those comments um popular culture its contradictions and how that's perhaps shaping the way we think about things
1: Mm. Uh, yeah it's very very (laughs) complex i think that um the idea of empowerment is is a very complex one isn't it because um there's the you know power being taken away in the moment where say if someone's you know sexually in that in that moment there's a power dynamic going you know going on you've crossed over somebody's no um but and there's often the pushback of this of like no I have control over my body and I can and and then that can go to a place and I will express it in a certain you know in a certain way and so you um you you might see a celebrity, for example. I think there was a, as a celebrity who was in a in a revenge porn situation, as in you know when someone's being um, um, there's a sort of bribery or, or or revenge. I'm going to post this intimate picture, and and her response was I'm no, I'm going to take control back and post the the picture anyway. And then you know and then judgment coming in. And I think that's probably an example of where you might see that um, that dynamic being played out of the um control being taken away um and then a a way of pushing back is no i'm gonna i have control over my body and then i set the sort of set you know um so i think we need to understand the nature of control being um being being taken away and like the, the history of that so i mean this is you know um you know, centuries of different ways of, of control over someone's body being taken away, whether that's um, you know domestic violence or so-called honour-based killings or or FTM or. Um, sorry, female genital mutilation or um or you know or prostitution or or rape or, or however it looks like there's are different examples of of that you know of control being um being taken away and, and the and the pain of that and so there's a lot I think there's a so this isn't the only you know it's, it's a very multifaceted question but and that this, this is one aspect of that narrative of um a response being no I'm gonna take control back and and you know, um, and therefore have you know control over my sexuality. That is a response, and I think there need. I think we we can go from one extreme socially to another extreme, but I think we need to kind of understand almost the narratives of both, be able to minister with compassion. I think also um, if the you know if we've got women and girls that have been told in particular and this is not exclusively because men can struggle with these issues too you know and boys and struggle but women and girls in particular told from a very young age your identity is in your sexuality this is who you are from a very young age I mean, you see that from um hypersexualized dancing and in, in videos that are aimed at children really and um you know in a whole myriad of ways and then the external external kind of thing you get this message of that is where your value is mm. that if you are i um, language you know I'm hearing at the moment if you are sassy but if you are that, that kind of thing if this is your I you know this is your identity and that is where your value is and mm. then attention coming there and that in, that message gets ingrained in all sorts of different ways and then as soon as um she behaves in line with that we start shaming and we start attacking and that message of you are worth nothing more mm. comes again but from a different angle and again, I, you know, I, I suppose I've uh, talked about this in the past, but a church can be a real place of um, healing. And actually men within church um, can be a real vehicle of um, of healing by the way that they relate. I mean, um, you know, often talk about the one Timothy 2, um family, you know, treating older men like fathers, younger men like, um, like brothers, mothers and sisters, you know, that 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 family image mm. and um and you know we lean it. We talk about that in terms of purity and boundaries, and that is really important, of course. But also we need to recognise that part of that is that there is a relationship. This is, there is a relationship with boundaries, but there is a relationship, and there is something of, um, about you know um, men interacting with women in a non sexualized way. Um, can, you know is very very powerful because then that um, communicates you are valued for who you are as a as a person. And and I think sometimes in fear, we can be so distanced that actually we reinforce that same lie that the only way men can, can interact with women is sexually or, or not at all. Um, and men can have a real role, really powerful role in in changing and shaping culture um, just story came to mind on that actually for for me just to kind of describe how that how that well that might look like. I remember like 12 years ago when I was doing um, that project with you know outreach in um, off-street prostitutions that are going into flats, and um, it was really well run. We had this wonderful training course that looked quite in depth at different aspects of you know personal safety or sexual exploitation, and we had a, a we had a session that was looking at the demand side of paying for sex. And so it's quite hot because I because because for me, I was grappling with some of these things. And I went into this session and um, I think the stat that they gave was one in 10 men um, had paid for sex in their lifetimes. And I think now it's 11 percent of 16 to 70. That's so quite static stats. And there was a guy who was on the training and I heard a male voice saying that is totally unacceptable. And that for me, he didn't know this, he didn't know me, he was on the other side of the room. There was, God did a real moment of healing in my heart in that moment because yes that is totally unacceptable but um but there was a male voice saying that and not only was that kind of um you know healing for me and and and, and starting in with kind of reworking that all men are it actually changed culture in that moment because it wasn't um that all men are it's that brokenness can play out in a particular way um but that is not um you know what god says about his sons mm-hmm. and actually that so there's something very powerful about um about um a man um shaping shaping culture so we've seen a lot of women's voices um on on me too and sometimes that can make us feel uncomfortable <laughs> sometimes you know that might you know we might we might be scared or whatever, or whatever um but there's something very powerful when um when we that men's voices join with women's on this topic and um and you know different aspects of our of our culture saying actually no this this is not um this is not okay. And that is not how, how masculinity and femininity needs to play out within our context.
0: Because mm, I imagine it can be very easy, as you said, to get into that, that trap of vilifying men, all men are. Um, mm. And equally men, you know, as much as women need to be transformed by the renewal of their mind about who they are and their identity and where they're potency Mm -hmm. and power and agency in the world comes from so do men because uh, you know men are taught from a young age as soon as testosterone really kicks in at puberty this is this is a big part of who you are you use it to fight or to dominate um and actually looking at porn and and pursuing women sexually is just part of being a man And so men can play into that and think, well, that gives me permission to behave badly because my culture says that's what men do uh, through Mm -hmm. the messages that they send out. But it does strike me as interesting that um, by and large in society, up until recently, you might say, I don't know, but um, there seems to be one key message that's sent to women about where their power can come from, and it is in their appearance and sexuality, whereas for men, power can come in lots of ways through their use of their intellect or through their physical strength and their, their muscles or uh, or through their competency in their jobs or their humour. And so it does seem, the, the, the scales and the balance do seem to be slightly tipped against women in this regard that there isn't too many visions of where power and identity and purpose can come from for a for a woman um and so i do appreciate that this isn't all things being equal kind of kind of conversation because all things aren't equal in that regard but i'd love to just get your comment then on how we how we avoid vilifying men because um i am also aware that in the church sometimes they're the we can be guilty of going the other way to the point that we present femininity as holiness and masculinity as sinful or we we talk about (laughs) we talk about the sins of flesh the sins of the flesh as though they are largely things that men struggle with and men have a problem with and men need to stop this and men need to stop that Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of men avoid churches because they think well I'm, i'm basically told to become an emasculated version of myself or to become a slightly more feminine mm. version of myself and that doesn't seem a particularly desirable vision of male flourishing so um, again mm. it's not a straightforward question i'd appreciate i'm not looking to you to be a you know the guru of all things on this but it'd be really interesting just to hear your comment on how we avoid vilifying men and how we can present a vision of masculinity to men that is attractive but doesn't look like becoming a woman
1: <laughs> mm interesting i think there's a um i suppose a few initial thoughts i think one is that i think we do need to be clear that you know within our, within our churches and the way that we talk about um you know um sex with young people and things like that that it's not you know, lust isn't purely a male issue you know women struggle with lust actually increasingly past you know um you know in research in different settings you know pastoral women are um can struggle with pornography and, and so that that's something that's that's probably worth knowing that we're not too and we're seeing boys struggle with body image so i think we, we do need to probably hold that in the way that we that we minister in terms of masculinity i i know i know what you mean i think when the, there was i don't do you remember at the turn of the, the millennium you're probably um the right age range i would imagine the millennium man i don't know if you remember that there was this idea of the millennium man and and it was that kind of slightly, slightly softer, slightly you know more effeminate. Had a man bag, yeah. you know that kind of that kind of thing. So um, there was so there was this kind of you know narrative about that, and then there was, and then there was a lot of pushback, I think, from men of kind of feeling a bit you know emasculated, and so the, you know that you can go from mm. one extreme to to the other kind of you know um, being the power dynamics of um of women um you know experiencing different forms of gender-based violence and saying that is enough is enough we need to address this and then going to the other extreme where then you know men don't feel they can they can do anything. So I think what we need to distinguish between is um you know, your identity as a, as a as a man, identity as a woman, and how brokenness and how sin can often play out. And there's a real distinction. So that kind of the sort of toxic um sort of toxic things that um so um, when we are exploring, when we're unpacking, you know, things like um pornography, things like um, you know, sexualization, things, these these kinds of topics, um you we you might hear pastorally, I don't know about you, but I've certainly come across this. Come on, that's just what guys are like. And you know, you might hear men articulating that, but you also might hear women articulating that. So, and you know, in same in some ways. It's, it can be sort of seen as, you know, we, we need to we, we need to protect men, but actually that view is doing men a real disservice, and it's a slightly window dressed version of that same lie that I talked about walking out of myself. Of this is what men are like, because um, because when we when we do that, when we say, you know, it's just what men are like, that in itself is is almost. Disempowering men to be able to to walk out of things. So, so what do I mean by that? I'm not talking about um, physiological drive. I'm not making a comment about that. I'm not talking about you know hormones. That's not what I'm or you know or attraction. I don't mean that. I mean when that we we start using that to justify objectifying women. We start using that to justify these kinds of things that that all of these movements are um, are are speaking out against. Then we are minimizing all of what, what what men can be so because there's a there's a difference between um this is a common struggle but i am a child char- i i'm a child of god and i and i can choose to well this is just my identity it's who i am and therefore um you know i have to watch porn and therefore or therefore i have to do this and that in itself i think is disempowering so i think that's where the strength comes is kind of realising who you are and actually and um not all men are um abusive or all men have to watch pornography because that's who they are actually that men are more powerful than that because because you're made in God's image because his spirit is in you because you're being transformed day by day more and more into his likeness that's not saying there isn't a struggle but the struggle and the sin and the what the brokenness that is not who you are just like when I described earlier that identity of victim that is not who you are and it's at that moment when um with people uh, when I'll say I'll say women but obviously men you know do experience abuse it's important to acknowledge that um when she realizes that she is not a victim that is almost um, a real catalyst in healing I think when he realizes that he that power doesn't come in a toxic version of masculinity but more in realigning with what does God say about you as his child I think that is a that is a key thing in in walking that out I don't know if that helps
0: That's beautiful, because I do think there's something that this is how Christianity changed the world in that it gave a vision to men that elevated self-control and self-sacrifice above what we might term today as self-expression and just power. You know, that we are not just animals. We have to just alliterate we have angel as well as animal in us we have the propensity to to something bigger than just hormonal reaction and instinct and i think there does seem to be uh, that contradiction in society that wants to seem to hold on to this you're special you're a human being but it does that by saying you're also just an animal so you can Im- you know embrace your appetites and your sexual urges and appetite like your uh, desire for hunger and food um so i think what you're saying there is absolutely beautiful there's that need to restate what's fundamentally christian that we're called to be like christ who though he was in the form of god did not consider equality with god a thing to be grasped Mm. but he used his his power and his access to strength and power Mm. he used it to serve and humble himself and die rather than lord it over others as jesus says like the gentiles do but to be truly great is to serve and die and i think that um it, which kind of tacks into that question of, you know, how do we create a vision that counters the the vision of sexual expression that's gained traction in our society over the last few decades? It's this vision of the Christian story, again, is a much more beautiful story of human flourishing than, um, than, the, than the secular story of what we might say self-expression. Um, so thank you for those those comments. And um, why don't we come on to just um, having you share with us a bit about the work of Orchards and... Um, yeah what you're doing
1: there so we work specifically with women who've experienced different forms of sexual exploitation so that might be trafficking for sexual purposes that might be prostitution um or um you know that, that playing out in different ways so we um were founded out of real a, a real foundation of prayer really it's something that i've carried in my heart for um a long time as i as i've said and about I, Eight years ago, I was working in an organization with another woman and we were both doing outreach in different areas in London. And we started praying together initially to see if we could do something where we were and then became prayer partners. And so we would just, you know, would be a kind of our, um, you know, regrouping in a lunchtime prayer partners. Um, and there was this moment where um, the Holy Spirit um, fell and he spoke really, really, really clearly to us about, you know, now it was time to um, to do something. And I and it was almost like I just found out I was pregnant at work and I was coming back to my desk because I was carrying something so much. Maybe people can see, you know, is that I think he spoke to us so clearly. And there was a period then of us Praying and checking with people and and, and researching and, and talking to people we knew in the sector, and we knew that housing was an issue. We knew that lack of housing was one of the biggest reasons for entry into prostitution, one of the biggest barriers to exit. Um, and so after you know five years really of of um uh, you know of uh, praying and consulting and talking to, um, to different people we um set up a um safe housing provision for for women exiting linked to a local church um and also um trauma counseling um because of the solid often the the longest lasting effects of uh, are the sort of psychological effects and maybe you know, ptsd um Um, eating disorders, relational issues, anxiety, those those kind of things, very, very, very common. So we run safe one-bedroom flats, um, counselling with a Christian counsellor who specialises in sexual trauma um, and support work that um, links to job opportunities, it links to CAP and, and, you know, and and, and food bank, it links to work placements. Um, We're looking at because lots of women we're working with have eating eating issues as, as a way of processing trauma. Um, and since lockdown, um, we, we initially did a lot of, um, a lot of um video counseling and casework and and pastoral care so we kind of lean into the local church for for pastoral care um and we set up another uh, we've had we've managed quite a few moves i've done lots of kind of lifting boxes with gloves and (laughs) and masks and that sort of thing um and we've we're launching a a um remote support service so a lot of um counseling services can be quite um uh, focused in the south of the UK so we um, from doing um, video counselling we started to get referrals from women around the country so we're, we're exploring that at the moment now something that that we've been looking at a lot over the last year is um, really creating bridges into the local church I think that's something that is very much on uh, very much on our hearts from the, from the beginning I think the, the local church is essential to our model so we wouldn't set up a safe house that wasn't linked to a local church and do a social action thing um, and we've been you know going deeper in that and that's still a, a journey we're, we're on so we're looking at creating we are trying as much as possible to create bridges from from the local church We can of opportunities for people to get involved mm. um we link into some other other what we might call grace center ministries at, um at mm. church so cap and food bank um and also um and also um opportunities for women to explore faith and ways of doing that so we've talked a lot about choice haven't we just since we've been since we've been chatting and the importance of choice and that's something that um we've been you know grappling with the best ways of doing because you know I've, d- talk, I've talked about different ways that choice has been taken away and actually some women ha- might have been exploited in a faith-based setting or you know bible verses used in a manipulative mm-hmm. way um some women um you know might have had you know just just really broken experiences around faith um and we want to create we 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 don't ever make you must come to a bible study part of um what we do because just as someone would um um it might have been in a survival sex situation around housing so you know i'm i am i'm selling sex for for my for my housing um if they thought if a woman thought felt that she might lose her housing um because of her engagement or not in a faith-based activity <laughs> then that's kind of becomes exploitative all over yeah. again that said um you know, real transformation and healing comes with an encounter with a father, comes with a relationship with Jesus, and we don't want to, you know, um, it to be a social action project. So we create as many relational connection points as that we make it really clear before women come that we work in partnership with a local church, that we are Christian project. their choice to engage or not mm. is um, uh, will no way affect the support that they received. It's unconditional. So there's that choice, but that they are welcome and um, that we we're an organization who pray and we'd love to be praying for you. And if you and if you'd like prayer at any point, you know, we'd love to pray with you, but you don't have mm. to. Um, and and making and creating as many relational links. You know, everyone who's, who's involved has, um, has a strong faith. And what we found by having that tension of keeping the local church at the heart, by keeping choice is really is really key. Found you know people having an, in, um, an encounter with God in a session, and suddenly they're exploring faith with me. And now we're going prayer walking mm, regularly. Wow. Um, we've found um, women come to us and before we even mention anything they're saying oh i heard you're christian have you got a bible study i can come to i'm like i don't know let's make one yes yeah, sure. <laughs> we'll, we'll create one come to that and so that kind of with we're seeing women coming with a real hunger for god wow. and they and there's more seeking because it's their choice and it's not you know and and it's there and it's their yes um and with some you know women are um we you know reiterating again you know, you don't have to apologise if you haven't come to something. It's okay. You know, it's 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 your choice. And so, in that environment, we're seeing the first fruits really of God um, starting to um, to meet with women, and in some cases, old faiths um, being reignited or new relationships with God starting to be starting to be built and so when we're looking at remote service of um reaching women in different parts of the country with counseling and and um, um something we're looking at, at the moment is how can we link to the wider church how can we how can we still make sure that that isn't something that is cut off from the you know from the from the heartbeat of of um of God's mm. church but link with churches around the country and we within our at the the church context where our safe housing is, we're doing a lot with the church around pastoral care, around um, safeguarding, um, around just equipping leaders to be able to to um, to um, to pastor in this context, and also because of just the volume of um, domestic um, a, a domestic abuse issues that are coming through from people in, you know from people in the local community. Really equipping leaders on on these um, on on these issues, and and then you're in a stronger place to um, include someone who has been ex- who's experienced sexual exploitation into a church family.
0: Oh, that's beautiful, and it, and like you you've said often throughout our conversation, just the the power of the local church family uh, to reculturate us to, to train the way yeah. we think about members of the opposite sex differently. Um, it strikes me that the gospel is always incarnational. The transformative power of the gospel is always going to be worked out in Mm -hmm. relationship. And that begins with you encountering them, your encounter with them, but it extends to the family of God that is the the hands and feet of Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. So I, I love that. I love the vision. Um, I love what you're doing, and I'm so grateful, really, just for your courage and being willing to have conversations like this, and to uh, uh, to be someone who's soft enough that the Holy Spirit can help you see that not all men are like that. Uh, that's a beautiful story as well. So thank you so much for all that you're doing. Uh, as we as we go to as we draw to a close, is there anything just bubbling on your heart that you wanted to share before we finish?
1: Um. I think something that came to mind in the question you asked about, you know, about 10 minutes ago around the, you know, strength and, mas- and masculinity and, and, all, and all of that. I think something that just that just came into my heart was just that, um, that in addressing this, it is not about dumbing down your strength or kind of minimizing it. Actually, um, it's about using it. It's the, it's the, op- there's something very, powerful about how you use your strength because there's um that there, you know there's obviously the gen- the gender wars which don't really get anywhere and they go one way and they go and they go another way but how powerful it is when um when you know men use their voices to bring challenge in this what would it look like if you were to use your strength in that way how powerful it is when men um change the culture of like you know this is this is not okay there's something about actually realising not how weak you are, but how strong you are to be able to change culture. What does it look like when you see, when someone comes into the church and every experience they've had of guys has been negative, but they're, they are spoken to with respect and someone engages with them intellectually? Um, what would it look like if you had a church culture where men and women are ministering alongside each other using the gifts that God has given them um, and someone is brought into that culture and is seen not as a victim or a testimony trophy um but they are seen for who they are yeah and so that i think that is um something mm-hmm. just to leave us by actually is kind of realizing how powerful we are to create culture change because of the holy spirit um in us
0: mm, that's brilliant thank you so much and, and i remember i heard someone say that actually Asking women in this situation or black people in the conversation about race, asking the women to be the voice of change is quite sick because it's like asking the victims to be the ones who overthrow their oppressors all the time, Whereas it should be about empowering the leaders to take responsibility in the church to change a culture that doesn't necessarily affect them directly because they're not um, the ones who live with this experience day in day out but they're the ones who like Christ step up and take responsibility for another's challenges and do what they can to change things for that person's benefit without asking them to summon the courage all the time to be the testimony to be the voice if they want to great but you know we shouldn't be looking necessarily to them Mm. to be the ones who are the vehicles of change god gives the church elders Mm. for that reason to be the men who lay down their lives for the flock even though they don't necessarily experience all the same challenges that every person in their community and congregation does Well, as I said at the start, I'm so grateful for Emma's courage in sharing much of what she did and for her wisdom in how we in the church can change things and turn things around. Because we have the gospel and we have an understanding of male and female as being both equal in God's sight and both equally made in the image of God. Uh, whilst at the same time a vision that doesn't deny our masculinity or deny our femininity or wish to erase them or change them altogether but merely to redeem them and see them expressed as god intended i hope you appreciated that conversation next time we're looking at a very different topic together i had the privilege of sitting down with mike betts who is the apostolic leader of the relational mission family of churches Part of new frontiers and we discussed the post-pandemic revival that broke out in lowestoft in 1921 almost 100 years ago to the day. It was exciting and inspiring. Here's a snippet of our time together. The presence of God would be such in those times that people would be walking across the the, the bridge in the town that the the river separates the two halves of the town. People would be walking across the bridge there and uh, the power of the Holy Spirit would just come upon them and they'd be clinging onto the railings of the bridge, just weeping under the awareness of they need a saviour and, and the, the the sinfulness and the fact they needed to just get right with god oh it's a good one i think you're going to enjoy it and i really look forward to bringing it to you that's in two weeks time here on the new ground life and leadership podcast until then keep pursuing jesus with everything you've got and i'll see you soon bye